0: Great, so yeah, as Alan said, uh, my name is James. I grew up in a town called Basingstoke. Does anyone here know where Basingstoke is? Great, great, because normally I get a mixed response, I'm not gonna lie. Um, So I grew up in a town called Basingstoke. I then moved to Birmingham to uh, study my theology degree. And uh, I now live in an area called Balham in London. So obviously I only live in places that begin with B. Um, but I was actually, a little fact for you, um, just to kind of get to know me better. I was actually the Basingstokes Under-14s Gymnastics Champion. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know I don't quite look like a gymnastic prowess. Um, fact of the matter is, I wasn't. My floor routine included a teddy bear roll. I, um, You know the vault thing where you kind of like, they run down... The kind of runway and they jump over, they do like a flip thing. Well, the competition was the first time that I'd ever used a vault, so I actually ended up running into the vault. I forgot to jump, so much so the judge burst out laughing um, and had to get off her judging chair to show me how to use the vault. Um, and I actually ended up getting one of the worst scores of the day. So I hear you saying, James, how did you become? Basingstoke's under-14s gymnastics champion? Very good question. I was actually the only one in the competition, so I won by default. So um, my sporting, uh, I'm not very good at sports, not very, very sporty. Um, But I'm going to start off with our reading for this morning. So our reading for today is taken from Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26. Um, And it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give In return for his soul. So, I've heard off the grapevine um, that you guys have been doing a series called Love Letters about exploring what God has said through scripture and wrestling with it and and seeing that as a love letter uh, from God. And I wanted to talk to you this morning on a little journey the Lord has taken me on this year, which has absolutely wrecked and ruined me. I will not lie, but it has been so very worth it. So I don't know if anyone here um, has come up with any New Year's resolutions. Anyone do the whole New Year's resolution thing? Yeah, okay, a couple of people. I mean, we're in March now, so you probably, if anything, we probably would have stopped our New Year's resolutions. Like my gym membership included sort of like one week of going to the gym. Um, So um, this year, I decided that I wasn't going to do a New Year's resolution, but I was going to do a New Year's verse. I know how holy. Um, So I decided I was going to do a New Year's verse. And uh, in that reflective point at the end of 2018, um, I was listening to preach, and they used this particular verse to, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And, And it was one of those things where, um, I, I hate that verse. I literally hate that verse because I find it so challenging. I mean, it's not really the space for apathy. Um, and I kept on finding it absolutely everywhere. So I, I list, I've, uh, every preach I listened to, it seemed to come up. I was reading books and it seemed to come up. Even someone would share it on social media. And then the daily verse in the Bible app, it came up there as well. And I was starting to get to the impression that the Lord was giving me this verse for 2019. And to be honest with you, I would rather have had something from the Psalms about lying down near still waters because I would rather interpret that as by sitting by Paul pool in Alicante on a bit of a holiday. So Lord, why would you not let me have this one? But no, the Lord said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so I started to pray through that verse at the start of the year. I started to wrestle it with it. I started to really engage with it, and I was, um, And it was all over my journal. If you look through my journal, I've kind of like annotated it like crazy. And, and I felt like the Lord, as I wrestled with it, as I journeyed with it, um, as I engaged with it with Jesus, I felt like the Lord bring to mind certain things which were good things but had, for me, become ultimate things. And for one of those things, for me, was this whole idea of relationships. I'm a 27-year-old guy, single in London, you know, I, I'm, and, and I don't know about you, but I find that, that actually as a single guy, there's a lot of pressure for me to be in a relationship from both parents, from the church, from society, that is telling me that's the way I'm going to be fulfilled. And as I was journeying, um, wrestling with this scripture, I felt like the Lord bring to mind that actually, for me, relationships had become an ultimate thing. Um, and uh, I um, felt like the Lord say to me in that point, James, I want you to lay this down, but not just for the moment. I want you to consider laying this down for the rest of your life. And I'm not going to lie to you, lifelong singleness and celibacy doesn't really sound that sexy. I'm not going to lie, it doesn't sound that great. And uh, I, on um, psychometric testing, I'm a big fan of psychometric testing. And uh, I always come out as the feeler, as the one with all the emotion. Um, And I was not prepared to make a step like this based on a feeling or an emotion. So I decided to challenge the Lord a little bit. And I said to the Lord, Lord, when I go to church on Sunday, something I feel that you should never start with with the Lord, but when I go to church on Sunday, I need you to speak really specifically to me about this, because then I'll know, not necessarily what if, but then I'll know that you are speaking to me. And so when I go to church, I don't want um, a picture. Someone to have a picture of kind of um, someone laying bags down at the foot of the cross because that could kind of half apply to anyone. I need something really specific to me. So I could not deny that you have spoken to me. And then I thought I'd go one step further. I said to the Lord, "Make it what is preached about from the front of church, because then I will know." Now, I thought I was pretty safe because uh, we weren't in a sermon series, so I thought I was doing pretty well for myself. Anyway, I go to church on Sunday. We're worshipping the Lord. And then uh, Georgia, who's our assistant pastor, gets up to speak. And she says, this morning, I felt really led to preach on sacrifice. I did not like where this was going. I'm not going to lie. And she said, the verse... That I have been given, I felt like from the Lord um, to preach on, and you've guessed it with Matthew 16, verse 24. For those who are to be my disciples are to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, I'm not going to lie, I said some things in my head that I'm not going to repeat from the stage. Um, I was uh, a little bit shocked. How on earth? I mean, there are 36,000 verses roughly in Scripture. The Lord could have spoken on any of those 36,000 verses, but oh no. Oh no. He decided to meet my very specific challenge. And I felt like the Lord said to me at that moment, I want you to lay this down so you can pick up the adventure that I had for you. And it was at that moment that I felt like I had a choice. I felt like the Lord gave me a choice. James, are you going to be a Christian in name, but not by nature? Or are you gonna be my disciple? And for some of us here this morning, maybe the Lord has been getting our attention about something which is something which is good, which might have become something which is ultimate. And the Lord has maybe been getting your attention here, maybe this morning, maybe over this start of this year, and He's asking you to lay something down before Him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, when Jesus spoke that passage, in context. He just told the disciples that he was going to die in one of the most painful ways known in history and that this was his call. It's at this point that Peter plucks up and he says, I don't really want you to die, Lord. I'm not actually having any of that. Jesus then turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, could you imagine that? You've literally given three years of your life to this dude. You've followed him around. You quite like him. You don't want him to die. And the moment you say that out loud, he likens you to Satan. I mean, me and Jesus would probably be having some words at that point. Um, But Jesus then, this is where Jesus says these words. I have to die. I have to take up my cross. This road was never meant to be easy but if Peter, if you want to be my disciple, if you claim to follow me, come and do the same. Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote this famous uh, this this quote in his famous lecture, "The Minister's Self-Watch," and I think it'll come up on the screen. It's a little bit wordy, but people go to their place of worship and sit down comfortably and think they must be christians when all the time uh, that their religion consists in is listening to an orator having their ears tickled with music and perhaps their eyes amused with graceful action and fashionable manners the whole being no better than when they hear what they hear and see at the opera not so good perhaps in point of aesthetic beauty and not an atom more spiritual Thousands are congratulating themselves, even blessing God that they are devout worshippers when at the same time they are living in an unregenerate Christless state, having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He who presides over a system which aims at nothing higher than formalism is far more a servant of the devil than a minister of God. You see, if you think that maybe this experience on a Sunday is the pinnacle, is the height of the gospel, as great as it is, it is not the pinnacle. Jesus demands so much more. He demands that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him The Christian life was never designed to be easy. It was not designed to be going through the motions with Jesus. No, the gospel demands so much more than Sunday Christianity, than just maybe a 10-minute quiet time a day if we're lucky. No, the gospel demands our all. And a gospel that does not demand our all is not the gospel. There is no casual. With Christianity. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jesus says to deny yourself. And I mean, I think sometimes we limit the art of denying ourselves to kind of like a chocolate bar over Lent or not snacking during the day. Um, However, if we dig a little deeper, I think there's a lot more that Jesus is saying here in the greek and i'm not going to pronounce it because my greek pronunciation isn't great but the word that jesus uses instead of deny yourself is more like to forget oneself to lose sight of oneself and one's own interest and if you're anything like me you love being the protagonist you love being the center of the story Um, I'm not sure about you, if you've ever come home to a flatmate or a spouse, um, or you've spoken on the phone with a friend and you've launched in with a hello, how are you, but you kind of hope that they rush through how they are, so they would ask you how you are, so you get to kind of talk about yourself for a bit, maybe that's just me, but um, I think that's very much like our society. I mean, the whole idea of capitalism, and I'm not going to launch into some kind of left-wing talk here, but the whole idea of capitalism is centered around the notion of getting more things for myself, buying more clothes whenever I want, getting that phone upgrade when I want, going on that holiday when I want. And don't get me wrong, those things aren't bad at all. I love a good holiday, However, when we put ourselves at the center of the story in that way, what kind of story does it tell? I need those clothes or else I won't look good. I need that phone upgrade or people might think that I'm getting behind the times. The only way I would financially be fulfilled if if I own a home with a white picket fence and own my own car. And if I don't get married, and this is the one I'm struggling with at the moment, if I don't get married and if I don't have children, then surely there is something wrong with me. That's the story that this world plays out. The story what we are the centre and the most important player in our own lives is a story that will ruin you. I mean, I don't know about you, but trying to live by those standards is exhausting. It's like a perpetual hamster wheel where after we've achieved one thing, there's another thing and another thing and another And I mean, I don't like the uh, the thought of exercise at the best of times. I once went to a hit class and thought I was going to die. But the sound of that to me sounds like torture. You see, placing yourself at the center of the story means that we are crushed under the weight of its expectations in the process. And there's a lot of those expectations. There's a lot of things that I am journeying through. But the world is crying out for a different kind of story. And as those who follow Jesus that deny themselves, we find that when we lose sight of ourselves, we can gain a sense of freedom because we can take off those expectations. We can take off those lies that sometimes ourselves and sometimes other people place upon us. You don't have to own a house, you don't have to get that phone upgrade, um, you don't have to be, um, get married to be fulfilled. But the invitation to us is come, lay those things down and walk in the freedom that God has given us. Now there's a theologian that I absolutely love uh, called Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he says when Christ calls a man he bids him come and die. I mean, what an offer. I mean, I wouldn't go, <laughs> wouldn't go up to someone in the street and go, hey, do you want to come with me? Do you want to come and die? Um, not something I would probably say. Now, Bonhoeffer, though, was a Christian during the rise of Hitler. Um, and it was during that time that the German church decided that what it was going to do was it was going to side with Hitler. It had made for itself an idol of, of um, prominence, Of power, and of prestige. And in doing so, the church decided that it was going to side with one of the worst dictators known to history. Now, Bonhoeffer was part of a different group of Christians that decided they did not like the fact that the church was almost going and singing off the same hymn sheet as the world around it, and they saw a disconnect between the society that was forming and what Christ calls us to. And so Bonhoeffer, as part of these different groups of Christian ministers, wrote something called the Barman Declaration, led by another theologian called Karl Barth. Point two of the Barman Declaration says this We reject the false doctrine that there could be areas of our life in which we would not belong to Jesus Christ, but to other Lords, areas in which we would not need justification and sanctification through him. What a way of resistance, that when everyone else seemed to be losing sight of their Christian faith and putting significance in power and prestige and prominence, their act of resistance was to declare that in the face of that, Jesus Christ is Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually ended up dying in his opposition to Hitler, dying like so many um, other Christians and so have done in history for that fact, and so many do today. And so after Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, he doesn't stop there. He then asks us to take up our cross as if the first wasn't enough. Now, um, I think sometimes we have got into the habit of pacifying the cross. You kind of maybe walk down the high street and people would wear crosses. You might see crosses on T-shirts. It's quite a trendy thing now to put the cross on things. Um, and there are people walking around that maybe wear the cross that have no idea what it means and what it really stands for. The cross was an instrument of death. Some say it was one of the most painful forms of capital punishment to date. A prolonged sense of torture that would last hours and hours and would only then result in death. And that is something which the Son of God went through for the sake of the world, for you and for me, so we could find this freedom. Yet yeah, it seems funny that actually then people would take such a thing and reduce it to a fashion item without knowing what it is and what it stands for. And although some of us might find that quite funny, the question still begs, is there place, are there places in our lives where we have reduced the cross to such a thing? And I love the fact that actually in the Greek, instead of the word take up, it could be translated as elevate. That when we put it with deny yourself, the idea of losing sight of oneself to, is to gain more sight of Jesus. That as we daily deny ourselves, as we daily take up our cross, we are making more of Jesus through the process. But to do that is a costly process. And the cross is costly. It costs Jesus everything. And the passage seems to be asking us to do the same as well. It was actually said that the Knights Templar, um, who, used to kind of, who ended up doing the kind of crusades, used to when, get baptised. And when they got baptised, they used to be baptised fully in their armour. I mean, that's quite weighty to kind of lift back up. But they used to get baptised fully in their armour. And when they went down into the water, they would lift their swords out of the water, so their swords were not baptised with them. And it sounds quite a funny thing to do, but how many of us kind of do the same? Jesus, you can have all of me, but maybe not this part. And I think as I've been journeying through some of this, part of what I think um, is why I sometimes do that, is around this fear of surrender, that I fear That if if I surrender those things to Jesus, if I give my all, then in some way harm would come to me. That trials would come, that this thing that is so precious to me, I then withhold from God with the idea of trying to keep it safe. But I have learned that trials will come because trials will come regardless of whether or not we have thought that we are keeping our our hopes and dreams safe from God. But the question is, is when those trials come, would our response be the same as Bonhoeffer's? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is a risk. I mean, there's a risk in following Jesus There's a risk that in in that following of Jesus that our lives won't turn out like we thought they would. There's a risk in surrendering, in giving our all. And I know I've wrestled for me with this whole idea, I've got a distorted view of who God is. That there was almost this idea in my head that God was mean that he didn't want me to thrive, and that in my surrendering, in me giving up what I thought was good, I would get something back that was only half as good or was even worse than what I had before. But what Jesus says within scripture is completely the opposite. I have come so you can have life and have it to the full, John 10, 10, or in Matthew 7, 11. How much more? How much much more would your, your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. God is not a God that wants to do us harm. God is a God that wants us to thrive. It's just sometimes that doesn't look like what we thought it would look like on paper. And so after Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, there is then the invitation to follow him. And I think that's kind of summed up in the bit that follows in the passage. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is an invitation from Jesus to find life, that as we go through this process of denying ourselves, of taking up our cross, and of following him, we find our lives. It sounds kind of counterproductive, doesn't it? Hey, come and die so you can live. But I suppose if we're truly to follow in the way of Jesus, we don't die and stay dead. We too are risen again. That as we um, commit to following Christ, as we die to self, we find a new life in him. And what does that practically look like in um, principle? Because I think it's fine in principle to talk about this whole, like, come, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Well, I think what that looks like Is to create a space of intimacy with God and to be open that out of that intimacy we would be changed and challenged. We want the adventure. I don't know about you, I love a good adventure, I love a good adventure films. And sometimes I want the adventure without necessarily having that time to kind of craft the adventurous heart. And I think that when we spend time with the Father in those moments of intimacy. When we're after that adventure, we need to spend time that he may craft in us an adventurous heart too. And it and that comes from a place of intimacy. There's a phrase that I've had going around my head that I feel like someone said, but I can't ever find it somewhere where I search on Google. So I'd like to say it's a James Pickett original. But um, I th- there's a phrase that I have going around my head. Lord, build revival, but first start in me. Lord, build revival, but first start in me. In me that as we spend our time denying ourselves taking up our cross and following Jesus the arc of our heart goes from ourselves towards God and in that process of the changing of our heart our hearts are changed we have an adventurous heart that we learn and practice to hear God's voice um, and I love the story when we talk about revival. I love the story of the Hebridean revival. The story kind of goes that there were these two elderly ladies um, in their late 80s. One was blind and one was crippled. And they would spend hours and hours praying throughout the night. It was in that place of prayer, in crafting out that time of intimacy, that they had a vision. And it was from that vision that led the church leaders in their local village to also pray throughout the whole night. Now, they didn't see um, instant change. There was an inconvenience there. They would pray throughout the night. I don't know anyone here if you've ever done a 24-7 prayer session, but no one seems to ever go to the 2 to 3 a.m. slot. But these were praying throughout the night. And it's in that place of prayer, in that place of of intimacy, that they felt the Lord say to them, do, do I have the place within your heart? Am I the first and foremost within my heart? And their cry was that, to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus. And it was in that place of prayer, in that committing to denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Jesus, that the presence of God fell so heavily within that particular place that they were praying. It was that that sparked the Hebridean revival. It was said that people that had never been to church before would wake up in the middle of the night, somehow struck that they themselves had to go to church. So churches were packed out with people who wanted to know about Jesus. The the revival ended up lasting roughly around two years of people coming to know Jesus. Jesus, the escape of the Hebrides was changed. But it started, it came from that place of a surrender to God, of denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Jesus. And we don't get the adventure. We don't get the crazy story without the times of taking up the full cost of the call. But the adventure is worth it. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be ruined for something, I would rather be ruined for something that lasts. I would rather be ruined for something that is eternal. And um, with this, I finish. I'd love to invite the worship band up. Um, so I finish with this. Would that be the cry of our hearts? That we would accept the call the cost, but in return, the adventure too. Um, I'll leave you with the final verse of when I survey, and I just love this. With the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Why don't we stand? Yeah, so Heavenly Father, we, Spirit, we just want to invite you here this morning. We just invite you to come. Spirit, would you come? Would a cry of our hearts right now, Lord, be that we are open. We are open to more of you. We want to be changed. We want to be transformed. Spirit, would you come? Would you come, come, Holy Spirit? I um wonder actually whether or not that whole idea there's a couple of things that I feel like the Lord might be saying. I could be wrong,'m kind of winging it a little bit, um, but I feel like there's a couple of things that the Lord might be saying, and the first thing is around that whole idea of surrender that maybe too there are people here this morning that have been carrying something which is good, but has become ultimate. And that thing is a burden, and it has replaced people's relationship with Jesus, that actually the good thing has now become the heavy thing. And um, I just actually want to invite people um, on a bit of a response, and if that is you, and there's no judgment here at all in this space um, at all, but we have a cross on my right, your left, um, And um, I just really want to invite you um, that if that is you, if actually there was something stirring when I said that, that maybe some things are coming to mind for you, why not take this opportunity now to come before the cross of Jesus, to come before the cross that changes everything, to come before the cross that gives us freedom and lay it down that maybe in that space, there's a space of recommitment to say, Jesus, you are first. I will take up my cross and follow you. Mm-hmm. So it's a, that was the kind of first thing that I felt like the Lord might be saying. But there's something else that maybe that whole idea of the adventurer's call, um, that whole idea of having an adventurer's heart, that there's something that excites you about the whole idea of going full pelt for Jesus of chasing after him with all of your might. And if that is you, if there's maybe you're going through maybe a change of a season in your life, maybe there's something where you feel like you've maybe got a bit stuck with your relationship with the Lord, but there's something about having an adventurous heart that you want to almost boldly go into this next stage of relationship with Jesus. So and actually, if that's you, and I don't know quite what the rules are here, but um, maybe come um, down to the front and people um, would kind of pray for you. I'm kind of looking to Alan for direction at this point um, as well.